Hey, welcome to Mondo and Friends presented by Verizon. My name is Mondo Fresco and today I am joined by one of our new friends. We're, we're going to make your our, our, our BFF. Yes. You brought us uh, some Ooh. potato balls <laughs> and some, some guava That's pastries. Right. Uh, we have the owner, uh, one of the owners yes. of the very famous worldly renowned bakery, Portos, Betty Porto. How are you? I'm good. Relaxing. I love it. Thank you. Working. <laughs> thank you so so much for for coming. Thank you for We're really excited. Me. We're big fans of of what you you and your family do. It's a family owned bakery, yes, right? Yes. Now uh, on the show we talk about uh, the journey. Yes. Right, because it's what inspires uh, our listeners, our viewers. So uh, I want to hear how Portos got started. Uh, if you remember that 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 oh, first yes. spark in, yeah. in your family that, that started the business? Well, you know, it's, it's a, obviously a family business, but it was really, it was always, it was my mother's passion, dream. Yeah. Her business knowledge and all that, that really got the baker started. We came from Cuba in 1971 as immigrants. And she started this business back in Cuba where it was illegal to have a private business. But because we were leaving the, the country, she was fired from her job. My dad was taken to a labor camp. He had no choice. You had to go there. Yeah. And he went from making $180 to $8. And my mother working in a farm. My mother went from maybe 280 because she ran an office. There was 12 guys. It was a, it was a cigar company. And um, she did everything. Inventory, vacations. It was a one-woman show. Uh, my mom had the privilege of getting an education. Mm -hmm. She had a bachelor back in the days. It was to teach, but she never taught. So at 25, she comes back from Havana to her town and, and she gets offered this opportunity to run this company. So 25 years old, you're doing vacations, payroll, you're doing all this. So it does a lot for her, you know, for her learning curve, right? Yeah. It starts there. Then Castro comes to power. She get the company closes down. They just closed it. They closed all the businesses. Everybody had to go home. And she started at home because the government didn't care whether we survived or not. And my mom and dad had three kids. So she starts making cakes for friends and family at home. Now, it wasn't easy. Number one, it was illegal. Get, she would have gotten caught 25 years in jail wow. for doing private business. She had to buy the stuff in the black market, which was dangerous too. You get caught, you go to jail. And a lot of times you would commission a cake and your family would get together all the rations because everything was rationed by the book, even to this day. Wow. And so she would say, I need two dozen eggs. And then the family, it was a family affair, getting the eggs, getting the sugar, getting the flour. You couldn't go to a market and buy them because everything was rationed. Wow. So it was harsh times, but she flourished in this environment. You know, people got, a, got, got to know this lady that not only was she a great cake maker, she was honest. So other people that were doing it were asking you for three dozen eggs. She'd only ask you for what she needed. And she would say, if I make three three cakes and I have two eggs left from each cake, that's six eggs. That's all we need. Yeah. We don't need to be hoarding eggs. But So people understood that. So she kept flourishing and flourishing. She was making money and sending it to the United States, which mm -hmm. was illegal. But the way they did it was if your mother was living in Cuba and my grandmother was here in the United States, you would, you would call my mom and say, can you give some, some money to my mom? 
and you would put the money in her bank account. So she smuggled money. There was no way of doing it legally. But then she came with a, with a head. She was a businesswoman. She's very smart, more history. She comes from a family of businesswomen. So her mother had a Spaniard. In the 1940s, her mother had a store, mm. like a small little shop selling pieces of material. So then my mother is raised by her, by his sister, but she grows in an environment with her mother and her aunts all had little stores, little stores, but they had stores. So, you know, people say, oh my God, who was a mentor? Well, she had a whole, a whole gang of women that were her mentors, her mother, her aunts. Yeah. If they did it back in Cuba in the forties, why can't I do it when I get to the United States? So it took us eight years to get out. So when we arrived here, my dad would say, you know, you have to get a job. You need insurance. You need to, you know, and she's, again, later on, she told me, because in those days I was too little. She told me that every time she went to an interview and my dad was working at bandy camps, she on purpose failed. <laughs> Everything that she had to do, she did it without telling my dad. Yeah. Because in her head, in her, in her mind, she was going to still be an entrepreneur. She had that bug that she already done it in Cuba yeah. under the worst times. So how could she not do it here? Right. And, you know, when she could go to Smart and Final and get all her ingredients, this was like this land for a cake maker. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that she ever wanted to was at your hand, fingertips, yeah? So she just stuck to her guns and she just, you know, made at one point, she had so much work at home, making cakes, quinceanera, wedding cakes, that we had to fix our garage. And then my dad got involved and we were making the meat pies and the potato bowls. Mm -hmm. Now, we're living in Sunset and Silver Lake. It was predominant Mexican area. And there were a lot of Cubans and Coronado, that area at the time. So that was, that was our customers. But people were coming to her house that worked in Children's Hospital. Yeah. So they have Filipino friends. They had Chinese friends. So pretty soon, she's getting not only Latinos, but people from other countries that are coming to her home. And then it comes to a point where there's no more space. So we'd be, be, we'd be come home from watching a movie, and we couldn't go to bed because she had put sheets yeah. on our beds. And she was flipping and cooling, flipping and cooling cakes because she had a really one mixer and one oven. So wow. she understood, you know, and then we opened the garage and my dad was making with my, with us helping her make these little pies and stuff. She came to realize that she needed to get a bigger place. Wow. And they went about the business of securing a loan. It was $5,000, but we're talking about 19, now 1975, 1976. You needed collateral. Mm. You needed something. Nobody would give her a loan. But then, like, again, immigrants, they help each other, right? Yeah. Especially back in those days. So there was a Cuban guy that was a loan officer. And we are from the same town. So he knew of her work. We made cakes for him in the past. So he believed in her. And he was the one that gave us the loan. Wow. And so the rest is history. $5,000. We started in Sunset and Silver Lake. 300 square feet. She made quinceanera cakes, specialty cakes. My dad worked at bandit camps, came in at one in the morning to help us. We were in high schools. And, that, you know, especially on the weekends, we would help. Um, it was a family affair. Even my grandmother was involved. Every day we pitched in and, you know, again, we were kids, right? Yeah. So my mother would go away after we come from high school. We'd go there. She would go away to go to a market because she would cook at the bakery. Mm. When we left the bakery, we already had dinner. We, our life was there. She would leave and then my friends would come, our friends would come over.
and we burn stuff and throw it in the trash and give him free food. <laughs> My mom never knew. Yeah. We had egg fights, flower fights. By the time she came back, everything was spotless. So yeah. the responsibility was not ours. Yeah. We were kids. And they were very typical immigrants in the sense that she would say, we're doing this for you guys to get an education. So I was going to be a lawyer. And, you know, we were going to be doctors, lawyers, whatever it is. Every immigrant parent wants their kids not to work hard, right. not to do hard labor, because that's what they're doing. Yeah. They want you to have a better life. So it was never about us doing this. It was just a mom and pop mm-hmm. that they kept working at it and more people would come. We were in, a, like I said, predominant Mexican area. And at some point we have a, we got a bakery. I never forget his name. His name was Margarito. Margarito. Which is not a very, <laughs> yeah. so he taught my brother and we were making conchas, cubiletes, banderillas, the bread with the butter. Yep. We made Mexican stuff and he made stuff better than I ever tried anywhere else. Wow. Because we were using like good ingredients, but we were not making a cheap concha. We were making, and so once in a while he gets this idea and like, we're so busy, we'll get I can make some incredible conscience and nobody's going to be able to, to stay away from them here because he loves baking and stuff like that and bread. But uh, we were making Mexican stuff. Wow. And we were doing really well besides the potato balls and the guavas and the and that, that stuff, the chicken empanadas. We did catering. So my mom not only made a wedding cake, but we did catering too. And again, we ran out of space. Ran out of space. Uh, the area, see, the, the things that never has changed. The area wasn't very, wasn't doing very well. There was a lot of uh, clubs and Sunset Silver Lake at night. People would come out drunks, and so my parents were, you know, were scared for our safety. Yeah, it wasn't a good area at that time. And so they found some place in Glendale, which is a very wide area, but it's very safe. There were a lot of Cubans living there, so we went to Glendale following our customers. Brand Boulevard was broken up in 1982. But we didn't, we didn't, so the guy that sold the bakery to us went out of business because the brand was broken up. Mm. But we didn't need that because what? We had built a clientele, right? Five years at home, then, you know, four years in this bakery. So people came for us. We didn't need food traffic. So people would come through the back of the bakery, enter. While we were working, they would walk through oil and grease and flour. Yeah. And we survived that and we flourished when everybody was going out of business and every, everybody was closing down. So we had a deal. We had it. We, I think we had, it was like 3000 square feet. We got it for like $30,000 fully equipped. Imagine going from 300 square feet to all this stuff. So we are flourishing now in Glendale because our clientele is loyal to us Yeah. and bringing more and more people. Right. And, um, all of a sudden Glendale decides to, the city decides to kick in redevelopment. So we're on, 315 brand, and they they want to take down that whole block. Wow. And they want to uh, build a story, eight-story building or 10. We're still standing now, 315 North Rand. That's the first thing that comes to Glendale. Glendale was like Monters and Honolulu, moms and pops, right? So, yeah, they got the Galleria comes, right, in the 80s. So all the mom and pops are going out of business. Wow. Because... The gallery has shoe stores, they have everything. So they destroy that little area, right? But we, on the other hand, are making a product and doing something else that nobody can copy. And the Galleria doesn't have a bakery. They don't have what we have. We're unique. We're different. And so we stay in business. And because we're standing in that block, they have to buy us out. We had a lease left. 
So we go from, from a $30,000 bakery across the streets that built us a new bakery. The guy who owned the block, he spent like $100,000. So now we have a brand new bakery, $100,000. So that means more equipment. And we're across. We, are, we keep growing. But then that building is done. And all of a sudden you have a Security Pacific Bank. You have the IRS. You have 7,000 people living across from us. Yeah. So, you know, what they call supply and demand. Right. So we're there. And then this, they want, you know, they start asking for, how can we have lunch? We're just a bakery, right? So they start asking, what about sandwich? So we start making a few sandwiches. What about coffee? Crip coffee. So they're asking, and we're fulfilling this. Right. But as we grow, then we realize that the coffee is very profitable. So then we start making espressos, and we get a machine, and then we start coming out with more sandwiches. The Cuban sandwich, of course, mm-hmm. was the first one, still the number one seller. But we start adding more stuff because there's more and more people. So some people went out of business. Isn't that sad? Yeah. A lot of people went out of business because the Galleria came. A lot of mom and pops went. But we were at the right time. At the right, at in the the right, right place. place. And all of a sudden, not only do we have people coming on the weekends that are regular customers, but we have all these people that are hungry yeah. and they want to be fed. It's a funny story. The earthquake in Northeast took place. Yeah. Our employees were running out the door. And my sister, my brother and I, my mom, we're all there. All of a sudden, all the people from the building start coming in to the bakery because they want to be, be at the bakery. They feel safe there. <laughs> so we're like struggling to now. We know employees and all these people, instead of going home, are coming to us. And we're like, oh, my God, how are we going to do all this? But we did it that day. It was, it was crazy because for some reason they felt safe at the bakery, but not on the ninth, you know, stories building. Right, 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 in the high rise. So, right. you know, we're in Glendale. It's a long story, so I don't know if you want me to ask. Yeah, no. So what, what do you remember uh, about those, those, those moments, like for well, yourself? Yeah, I, I remember like you personally. at the first store, yeah, yeah. a little moment. Yeah. I yeah. At the house, it was coming home with all the cakes and all that stuff. And my brother fell asleep every night listening to the mixer. Because the kitchen was here and his, his sofa bed was here. Wow. The girls had their room. So he fell asleep every night listening to that. I remember my bed being covered for stuff. I remember my friends wanting to come because it was all these leftover bowls with the icing on it and sticking the spoons in Cuba. I remember one time my mother, she was so sick and tired, was sticking the finger on the meringue <laughs> and she made a bowl of meringue yeah. and she sat us around it. And my sister and brother had to finish that bowl of meringue. And then she was real scared because my brother started peeing some green color. She said, oh my God. But it was a paint that she had put in the meringue. Yeah, yeah. So I remember all those, all those stories. But it, that was at home and stuff. In the first store in Southern Silver Lake, it was a fun. Having a place, our friends coming in, taking pictures. We were like movie stars. And, <laughs> and just being with the friends and having a great time. Uh, the other stores, Glendale, and I remember just working hard. Because I'm getting older. So now it's not about fun and games anymore. Now as I'm working, you know, 12, 15 hours. Yeah. And when I have an exam, I don't come to work because I was at priority. But the other time I'm working long hours. I'm working hard hours. We're getting older and uh, we want to have fun too, right? Right. So I used to go to, I was in the disco era. I used to go to circus. I was the biggest, the best discotheque in LA. <laughs> I used to go there, right? We were there until three or four in the morning, whatever. I would come home, change, and go to work. And wow. I did this Friday and Saturday. Wow. So if I wasn't, if I had that, didn't have that energy, I would have never had a youth. I would have never gone anywhere. 
I remember my brother and me driving because all our friends went to Lake Havasu in Arizona. Mm -hmm. We finished work Saturday. Imagine that. We drove all night long. Wow. And I was like falling asleep. And all of a sudden, I look at him. He's asleep. Oh, my gosh. And the car is going like this. But there was no traffic back in those days, right? We're talking about the 80s. We drove to Havasu just to be with, us, with our friends for a Sunday. Wow. And then we drove back. So so we had fun. We, my parents made it possible for us to have a youth. But it was hard work. It wasn't any more fun and games, right? And we were getting our bachelors. And so I think the big change for us was when we got our degrees. Mm. You know, I, I got a bachelor from Cal State LA in political science. I want to go to law school. My brother's an economic business major. My sister's an accounting major. And then we started looking for jobs. And we're, we're looking at this place. We're now across the street. And this place is growing. And without realizing it, because you got to keep in mind, we were working all this time from 1976. Now we gradu I graduated in 82. We're like, okay, we're going to look for jobs. They tell me there's no lawyers. Yeah. There's no job for lawyers in 1980. There was no lawsuits. None of that existed. Wow. So there's no job for lawyers. So I go back to UCLA. Two more years, I get a master's. And then I graduate again in 1982 with a master's. There's no jobs. Again. All those personal injuries that did not exist. Wow. You didn't see a commercial about a law offering his services. So I say, you know, what am I doing? And what I do is I want to talk. I want to be in front of an audience. Right. Well, there's a bakery there and I have an <laughs> audience all to myself. So I start, you know, we start, my brother stays. He stays in the back of the house. My sister decorates cakes with my mom. I used to be a wedding cake decorator. She stays down there and I get sent to the front. Because my dad speaks English, very little of it. We're immigrants. And my brother realizes that we need somebody that can be in the front and talk to customers. They pick the right person because, you know, we somehow found our niche. But it was very natural. It wasn't forced upon us. I was thrown to the front. How was I going to know that that was my passion? People. That right. was my passion, talking to people. My brother's a business major. That's what he studied. And that's what he does. That's his passion. My sister is good with number, but she was very talented, like my mom. Right. So we naturally found our passion within the bakery. So then we didn't go get a job. We stayed behind. And that's when the actual growth begins. And that's where we go from a mom and pop in Glendale. We start coming with ideas. My parents, for the first time in their life, go on vacation. Wow. So they came when they were 38. They take their first vacation when they're 67. Wow. And we were like, okay, go. And they come back and the baker's standing, right? We proved to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So were, they start, they, were they hesitant to, to well, leave? Yeah, at the beginning, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's very hard for an owner to delegate. For sure. But they went, they came back, the baker was standing. And from that moment on, every year, they took a vacation, which was like glad because, you know, they never had a life. They go from Cuba having, being middle, middle class, having a cushy life, to coming here as an immigrant with, with zero. Yeah. And working harder than they have overworked. So, you know, we were happy that we were able to afford them that time that they needed to go to see countries all over the world and learn stuff. So we stay behind. And again, that's when the growth begins. And uh, for, for someone for someone that I know it was a different time then. Right. But for someone that wants to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a lot harder now. What what would you say is 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 the the if there's a secret? Yeah. Or if if there's uh, any tip that that you would. Yeah, give? I mean, there's a lot of stuff. When we started, it was a lot easier. 
number one. My mother knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing, and she got better as time went on. Uh, we started with no employees. It was my mom, my grandfather, my dad would come after work, so no, no salaries. My brother and sister and I were free labor. We didn't get paid at the beginning at all. So there, there you, you got a lot of kids there. So she, number one, she was able to pay the rent. Day one, why? Because she had built a clientele at home. Mm-hmm. The number one reason, 90% of residents go out of business. The number one reason is they can't afford to pay the rent. Number one reason, they can't pay the rent. She was able to pay the rent from day one. It was $300, 289 She paid it because she built a clientele, right? But then you have people that want to open a business, pay $5,000 rent and sell cupcakes. I can make money selling cupcakes to pay that kind of rent. So yeah. I always tell people, and I talk to a lot of schools and mm-hmm. a lot of people that are in the food business, and uh, I always tell them, like my brothers always said, let somebody else teach you. Don't pay for your education. Go let somebody else teach you. So if you want to become a baker and you want to become an owner, go work for a bakery. Start doing dishes. Work yourself up. Learn every department, a bakery department. Learn how to schedule people, how to, how to, how to, you know, how to do a shift, how to, how to uh, do your sales, how to do your hours. You let somebody else, we're paying for, to educate you. Right. When an employee comes in, we're, it costs us money to educate you. Do that. Know what you're doing. So many people open restaurants and they just investors. Like they have the money to do it. Like, you know, they, Bestia is an example. They have an incredible guy yeah. there. But they have investors. They invest the money. But he knows what he's doing. The investors don't know what they're doing. He knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. They were smart enough to figure out this guy can, is a gold mine, right? But most people, they want to open a mom and pop. They don't know how to pay their rent. They don't know how to do numbers. Go to school. To me, that's not something that you can put off. Take business courses, get an education while you're working, because I'm a firm believer that you should work at all times. This thing about not working and just going to school, the people that don't work graduate, they don't know what to do. They have, they have no idea. Yeah. They don't know what work ethics is. They know nothing. So get a job, because when you graduate, if you worked, you'll get a job right away. The ones that don't get jobs are the ones that all they did was go to parties and they never had a job. So get a job in something that you have a passion for. There's all kinds of, you don't need to spend the big bucks. You can go to college. All college have culinary programs. Yep. And then from there, you can go to Pomona. Cal State Pomona has a whole hospitality program. And you can go into photography, food photography. Or you can become a manager. I even have teachers that have become managers. You can be a manager of a bakery. You don't have to know how to make a cake. We'll teach you every department. We have a whole training program. But those kids that want to start, don't just get money and throw it down the trash. Right. Work for somebody else. Learn the ropes. Learn everything from scheduling to, 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 to every... You have to know what the employees are doing for you, how long it takes, what's the labor right. that it requires. We knew all that because we had the longest internship in the world. We started <laughs> at 16, and we, we don't take off on our own until we're in our 20s, 23, 24 So. That's the key. Learn. Don't throw money away. And when I, I do a lot of lectures at USC, it's a business class. Yeah. And then most of these kids are coming from foreign countries, from India, from China. The parents have businesses. And their number one question is, how do we get our parents 
to trust us. They're sending <laughs> us to school, but they don't want to trust us with anything. For sure. For in sure. India, I mean, I feel like in China, right? Yeah. And I said, you got to prove it. You got to prove yourself. Yeah. You got to be the first one in the door, the last one to leave. Yeah. Work ethics. Number one, you got to prove yourself and then show them, ask them for a small project, deliver. Hey, I finished this little project. Can I get a bigger one? So you got to prove yourself just like you do at work. Right. Your parents can just give you this business and for you to throw it down the trash. So for that's sure. their biggest question because imagine you're coming from China or India. That's, they don't fool around, you know, and yeah. they, they want those kids to be, so they're going to USC to the getting an education. And at some point I told them something will click and you'll understand what this is all about. But, um, yeah, I mean, this has been a long journey, but it's been a very fun journey because we have a passion for what we do. Right. And that was installed in us by our parents. You know, the work ethics, they taught us work ethics and the passion for baking and, and all that. That was my mother. Do you feel like work ethic is something that, that work, can be taught? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. But it's not something that we uh, tell you. It's not being taught right now. Uh, you have kids that come in from high school and they don't show up the next day that, they don't, that they're hired. Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be calling to excuse myself, even though there's a whole process of uh, training. Right. There's a whole training, you know, which is virtual, through books, doing tests. We have a whole uh, program to do that. That didn't come overnight. We didn't have that in place in Glendale. These are things that you learn because when you have a business, you will never stop learning how to do things in a better way. But work ethics is a huge issue now because these kids are not working because their parents are, oh, don't work. You know, I want you to concentrate in school and they're doing them a disservice. They don't know work ethics. They think it's okay to start working a week and miss a week later. Right. Who would have done that? So yeah. I don't have an issue with my older employees, the ones that are married and they have children because they're working to keep their family yeah. alive. But work ethics is something that you have to teach at home. And I have a feeling a lot of it is not being done. You teach it at home. And do you learn it in school by coming in time, by turning in your homework? That's something that we need to work on. And, you know, we work on that. And so we're lucky that a lot of these kids that come in, a lot of them are good kids. But we have to teach them that it's not okay to miss. So we are in charge of teaching something that in the old days was taught at home. Right. You know, your mom and your dad, back in the days when they were working, they were not told that they had to show up. They knew that. They, they had you, to. There was, no, have, there was no now option. Now you have to teach it. So yeah. we have a whole program for that. And so we do that every day. So every day that you're in business, you learn. Uh, you know, we, for example, we knew to, the retention of employment is key, mm -hmm. right? Because that, in the old days, if you had turnover like McDonald's, that's, that's our model. Turnover was welcome. That's how they do it. 50% turnover, that's how they can offer those meals for 90 cents, right? Because you get new people at minimum and you turn them over. Yeah. We are not that kind of business. We rely on knowledge that's accumulated through time. So turnover for us is deadly. Mm. And now since COVID, we haven't been able to, to keep it down. And anybody that's in the food business understands this because they're all having, anybody that's self-employed and has a business is suffering through this through, you know, after COVID. But this is something that, again, you went back to your question, you teach at home. Yeah. And it's not being, it's not being taught. So we have to engage these kids and we do things to retain them in a different way. Before, 
employees in the old days, all they wanted was uh, to work. The way you keep them engaged was to give them more time. 20 hours overtime. Oh, yeah. It was a norm. <laughs> yeah. Now, those employees that started with us as immigrants, I'm happy to report they're all homeowners. Yeah. All my old timers. They retired. They bought homes. Why? Because overtime was 20, 30 hours. Yeah. And they would pay us overtime. So they welcomed the overtime. Now, overtime <laughs> is not something that the new generation likes. So yeah. we have to kind of adapt to that. Yeah. So do a lot of things where they're involved, where it's safety. If they keep the numbers and there's no accidents, then we give them a party. We raffle televisions, iPads. So we have all kinds of parties to get them engaged. Wow. So you've, you've, you've adjusted oh, that yeah. in, in the they business They were side. the sports things when there's footballs, Dodgers, whatever. We let them do that. Or thans, uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving, we let them wear hats for El Dia de los Muertos. They do makeup paint, you know, because those are the things that they're interested in. Yeah. So we have adjusted and we have learned uh, the ways of retaining employees. Um, one of the things that my brother came up with, and he, you know, brilliant, before Obama made it mandatory for people to have um, um, medical insurance, we were, we did it. We wanted to do it when we had their older employees, but they didn't want it much because they didn't want to put money into the system because the old people, their mentalities, same money, well, I'm not going to pay insurance. Right. I don't need it. I can go to TJ or whatever and get my medical done. So they didn't fly with them when we tried it. So then we tried it again two years before Obama, and then we have people buying in. And so now every employee that works full-time uh, has, you know, has uh, insurance. We also have... Uh, by, by them joining the insurance, we offer them uh, a free, um, when you know, somebody passes away. It was mm. a big issue. Their families didn't have the money. This was because, before the go funds and all that. So when the employee passes away, automatically at this free, he doesn't pay for this. At the beginning, it was like $25,000 that they get, the family gets. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's a little bit more now, but that's a way for them to have money to pay for the funeral. And it has it has happened. Yeah. So that's a plus. They get that automatically, and they don't pay that. We also have a four one k plan, and that's a big struggle with the youngs. <laughs> they say, I know if I had twenty dollars, I'm spending buying beer. But it's a good thing to have for the older people. Yeah. So now we feel good that when they retire, there's something in there for them, mm -hmm. in place for them. So, you know, we're always trying to be ahead of the game, to what retain is employees, to get them engaged. So they feel the same passion that we have a passion for what we do. Right. I have a passion for my customers. How do I make those employees have the same passion? Whenever uh, we have a group of 10 people being hired, I make it a point of talking to them. Yeah. I always talk to them. I say, you know what? This is not about me. You don't even have to smile at me, but you got to smile at the customers. I bring it to them, to their level. I make it real. I say, you know, these people have been coming 45 minutes away. They'll be standing in line for 35 minutes. Right. They're going inside for 35 minutes. Do you think they deserve at least a smile to make them feel welcome? Do they deserve your attention and for you to be polite? Yes, they do. So I tell them, you know, they're not, I'm not the one paying your salary. Yeah. It's them. How do you build that culture of customer service? Yeah, we work on it every day. There's a whole program. There's a whole program. Uh, the kitchen is different than front of the house. The biggest apartment is front of the house. Yeah. Right? I have 300 employees at the bakery. Most of them work in the front of the house, and they're the younger ones. Mm -hmm. More knowledge in the back of the house. We don't have 
that turnover there. The turnover is always with the younger people. But, you know, if somebody comes that are going to college and stays two years, that's great. Yeah. Two years, you, sometimes we retain them. Our, the head of our HR department started working because her mom told me, give her a job in high school. And now she's the head of the HR. That's beautiful because she knows the culture of the family and yeah. the culture of the business. So we tried to do that. We tried to retain. We tried to bring up, you know, we have people that you can tell are going to be, they're going to be go-getters. Yeah. If you have an employee that's always asking you, well, you know, I want to do that next. What I'm already done with this. What can I learn next? Because you have to sell yourself, right? Right. Either they're like that, they're unstoppable. And so we promote it. Even if we don't think they're going to stay and they're going to go to do something else, we still promote them. Because we'll have good years, two years. And at some point, maybe, you know, like I tell them when I go to culinary school, it's not just about baking and making cakes. We need, we need people in HR. We need, we need accountants. We need all that. Right. Managers who have never baked go through a program to learn every step of the area. But you don't really have to know how to make a cake to be a manager, right? So we get managers that come from um, Cheesecake Factory, whatever. They don't know how to bake. Right. But they know about labor. They know about numbers. And so we have a whole program for them, too, that takes them through all the areas in the bakery. Because we feel for a manager respect an employee, he needs to know the work that goes into that job. Yeah. Right? Right. You respect, you go, Jesus Christ, that's hard. You got to respect those people. And so a manager has, so we train the managers. So we train at every level. When you come in, we train to, to make you go up, to keep promoting people. And we train people that come from the outside so they know the culture. You know, our culture is not the same culture as other places. Right, which Our is culture important. is the customer's number one, and the customer is the one that has to be happy, not you as an owner, that customer. So that's when I come in. That's when I, what do I do on an everyday basis? I take pictures with people. I sit on their tables and I talk to the people yeah. about their grandchildren and, and, you know, their journey and how many cases we have made for them. So we have like a, like a bond, like a history, right. and that goes a long ways. It feels like you're you're walking into a, a They feel like they family. own the place. They feel like they own the place. Yeah. It's their place. And they have an opinion about whatever. And we listen to them. Yeah. Because they have the right to. I always make fun. I have this Filipino couple that goes to Glendale every day. They retire. They go daily. And I said, did you realize that that tile on the floor? You pay for that tile. That's your tile. That's why you <laughs> sit in the same table. So, you know, we have that kind of a business. where yeah. We have a lot of love and a lot of. I call it instant gratification. Yeah. We get a lot of um, positive feedback. We don't have to wait for it. It's right there in your face. Man, you made the best cake for my daughter. For my, and I never forget that. So we get a lot of, who doesn't want to work in a business like that? Yeah. Where these sure. people are telling you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We love you what you do now. The work, the work ethics has to be there. We work very hard. Sometimes they put things in, and, 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 and you know, sometimes they're going to yelp. We have a really good, uh, Ready and Yelp, we won one year for number one. We have like a 4.70 something, 4.80. But, you know, the things that hurt is when somebody says, ah, oh, the owners are up there, you know, living like rich people and they never spend a day at this bakery. Right. They don't know what's going That hurts because, you know, it's not true. Right. So you try to read it and, and don't let it get to you. But it hurts when it's your own business and you are, your sweat and blood and tears are there. And that some people think that we're on a pedestal. We're at the stores every day. 
That's I'm passion. Every day. That's passion. You have my cell number. Everybody calls me. It's not a private line. I don't have two phones. I have one phone. I can only deal with one. And people <laughs> call me at 9 o'clock at night. And they call me at 7 in the morning at 6.30. And I answer the phone. That's my job. Yeah. You know? So, so you would say when you when your family comes to, to the States yes. and, and opens that, that first bakery, yes. what year is that? Like 1976. 76. So yeah. in 70, we so, came in 1971. So in 76, it's, it's open. At what year, at what time? Um, Glendale is 80. Glendale is 1980. And what Portos is now modern Portos, yeah. right? Yeah. When did that happen, you Again, think? Again, when we, when we graduated, the moment we came on board. So I finished in 1982 because I was going in the master, but my brother's getting it. Bachelor, so he's he's coming there, and my sister, and that's when the growth begins. That's when we start taking other classes in, in management and business, and that's when we are starting to, you know, coffee, for example. We work with Gavillas, a Cuban coffee. They sell them in Don Francisco, Don Jose. We, we go to them, and we say, we want to start uh, doing this, and those companies will come and help you set up all your equipment. They, want, they teach you. Mm. They teach you how to be barista. So the companies that sell you flour, they sell you all that. In, at the beginning, there's a lot of teaching that comes from them because they want you to use their product. So they want to teach you how to use it and to prove to you that their product could be the best product. Right. So a lot of these people are coming on board. They, you know, they're, they're telling us, us what to do. We start meeting people in the food business, the organizations. We start going to Chicago, to Las Vegas, and at the learning period, my brother goes to France, he goes to Germany. As you know, as a baker girl, he goes all over the world to, to look at machines and how, you know, those bakers that he builds, he went all over the world to build them. Wow. He goes to Germany, to Holland to see what they're doing because bakeries over there is a growing business where here is not, you know. So you, you never stop learning, but you got to You got to keep going. So we we went through a big learning, learning curve and. The biggest challenge for us at the time was opening another store. So, Like a second store. 2005, we opened Burbank. That was like a baby step, right? I told you, delegating is very hard for an owner because you think as an owner, this is your baby and nobody can do it like you can. Right. Okay, that mentality, we had to change it, right? Because now we're going we're going to Burbank, but what do we do? We take a little baby step because we were getting complaints in Glendale about the weights and the lines and the parking. So that's why we make a baby step. But now we're learning. We, we had, we taken classes, we learned. We have um, people that would come from, that had open restaurants and, you know, tell us, you know, what to do. And so what you do, what we did was, it's called divide to conquer. It's such an <laughs> old idea, but you divide to conquer. So now the bakery as it stands is divided. We used to all work together before. Yep. Now it's divided, it's very specific. So you have the people that make the bread, the bakers, the ovens. That's one area. You have the people that make the mousses and the fancy cakes, the pastry chefs. That's another area. Then you have the people that do the packing for the orders. That's another department. Then you have the kitchen. That's another department. Okay? Now the front of the house, you have the, the, the bakery, the cafe, and then you have the people that turn in the orders. Mm -hmm. Now, every one of those departments was divided, and we were putting leads in each department that would answer to a supervisor, then they'd answer to a back of the house manager. Wow. Front of the house has more leads, more managers, uh, three managers per store. 
uh, they have supervisors on them because they got the, the biggest amount of people, right? Yeah. But so you divide to Congress. So we did it in Burbank. It worked out. And that's what we do now. That's what Downey is. That's what West Covina is. That's where Northers is. We repeat the same model. So that, that was the hard part, the first one, and learning how to do it. Now it's a, lot, it's a lot easier. We duplicate. What is it that we do every time differently? We learn something every time we build a bakery about <laughs> the setup of the back of the house, what's faster, what works better. So every new baker will have a feature that's an improvement mm-hmm. on the last bakery. What's which the is biggest? Cool. We learn, we learn, we learn. What's the biggest lesson that you learned from opening Burbank, which was your, your second that store? That we could do it. That it was that that we could do it and how it became an instant success. That we opened the doors, there were lines of people. So we thought, oh, you know, we're gonna take a no. The first day the lines were out the door and it remained very, very, very I mean, it was a, a total overnight success. And we've been lucky that the other ones have been the same. We open them, we open them, and the people will come. And we don't know why. I mean, we kind of know what they come, but it's just, it doesn't cease to amaze you or to surprise you. You don't take it for granted. So every day that we open a bakery, and you know, some of them at five o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, you have people lining up. Wow. When we open Northridge, it's windy. And it was like 30 degrees, windy. Like, And we're like, oh my God. It's three o'clock, it's four o'clock, nobody's here. What's going on? And then when the wind died, like around 5.30, they showed up in masses. But we were used to the other ones. Yeah. So we're like, you never take it for granted wow. that they're going to show up. And so it's a blessing to, to be able to count that those people have, <clears throat> that they feel so strongly about us and that they love that we're their bakery and that, that no matter what we open them, that they come. I think they understand that you know, we never disappoint them in the sense that if you talk about the secret of our success, it's number one, the ingredients that we use. So we, we source ingredients from all over the world. So if you go to a high-end restaurant in Beverly Hills and they make your chocolate cake, well, that's the same chocolate, the same Belgian chocolate that you're getting at Portos. So we, don't, we never compromise on, on the butter, on the cream cheese, because the bakery business is all about the ingredients. That's the key to it. It doesn't matter if you make it by hand or if you have a machine. It has nothing to do with the quality. It's all about the ingredients, sourcing the best thing in the world. And we do that. Now, the problem comes in is how do we source the best from the world and give it to the customer at a reasonable price. Right. And it's becoming harder and harder, but you still can get a sandwich at the bakery for uh, six-something, you know? Yeah. Or $7. Nobody can do that. When you have a fresh croissant, we make the croissant four times a day. When you go somewhere else, the croissant might have been frozen and they bought it for somewhere else. Our bread is baked fresh daily, four times a day. When you have a Cuban sandwich, you'll be f- people don't realize how important the bread is to a sandwich. It's the number one. You got to start with a good bread, and we do. So ingredients is the key to everything that we do, and we never compromise. We go crazy trying to get the pricing, trying to buy bulk, trying to to um, establish relationships, buying strawberries at one price when they're high and they're low, paying the price, doing a contract. Sourcing now, we're sourcing a lot of uh, local ingredients, like that tart that's being made right now, they're sourcing the, it's from a farm here in California, close by. So we're doing a lot of contracts with families that can provide us local stuff that we have 
fast access to it and that they care, right? Because yeah. it's another family growing strawberries for us. So again, back to the ingredient, trying to see what we can do, where we can get the best ingredients, where we can get the best prices so that product gets to you as its best. Right. Meat is going up. There's no turning back on that. So we survived COVID by not changing ingredients, never compromising again quality, but taking things out of the menu that we couldn't afford. Like we couldn't buy the meat. So we had to stick, we couldn't get the meat. We couldn't get a company to source it to us every day. Mm. It was hit and miss. <clears throat> so you can't have a product that's hit and miss. And now we're working back to bring in all the stuff that we took away wow. because we couldn't produce them. The ingredients were not there. The employees were not there. People were getting sick day in and day out. Were so, there you know, times when you guys, I mean, you guys closed for a closed, while, right? It took us two days to turn the bakery, which is an amazing thing to do for, from dining to takeout. And we became very, very successful at it. But again, during all that time, we cut products that we couldn't get the ingredients because we didn't feel like we could give you something that was less than perfection. So number one, it's ingredients. And I would say now number two is customer service. Right. We were talking about keeping all these kids engaged and doing things that are fun for them so they, they want to stay with us. That's very important. Yeah, like, you know, you, you hear about the culture behind some restaurants. Like yes, the, very important. The the in and outs of the right. world, right? Yeah. Like how yeah. people just love uh, Fred, our, our, our DP. He's from Texas. He loves his what a burger, yeah. right? And, oh, God, I tried that. And what'd you think? They have it in Florida too, doesn't it? doesn't compare to In and Out or no, no. Look at him and tell him that, please. No, it doesn't. <laughs> he just grew up eating it. So sometimes people get used to something. Right, right, right. Because they, it brings back memories, which is a lot. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. But if you become a foodie and you taste things. If you know, you know. No, you, you don't know. You learn to know. By trying, he needs to keep trying different burgers. If that's his passion. <laughs> oh my God, Warner <laughs> This is yeah. This is the the, yeah. the argument we have. Yeah, all the they time have it in Florida Fred. too. No, you know that, right? Yeah, it's uh, South. East Coast. Oh yeah, East Coast and all the South. Yeah, they don't have. Um, the furthest out here is yeah. Mexico is the last thing. Again, maybe it was the one that I tried it. You know, because these are remember these are individually owned. True. Which is the problem with. When you have a company that is not controlled by a family, when you have uh, like all the McDonald's, there right. are McDonald's that are cleaner than others. There are McDonald's that it shouldn't taste different, but who knows? No, that's true. If they're not cooked properly or they don't, the meat doesn't get temp the right way. Who knows? When I had it, you know. Right. No. So it the was reason in Florida. Why, the reason why we, I, I was talking about those restaurants is just like the 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 culture behind that, like but the they're loyalty. Family, they're only family owned. The ones that are family owned are the ones that are like like in and out. It's a family. It's one person. And then you think about like customer service, the first company that comes to mind, like fast food wise, is like a like a Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Right? Where people are always like, well, oh they, my God, they're brand customer new. service. They're brand new. And so they 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 did the, the research. There's a lot of thought behind those restaurants. I think some restaurants now have better customer service than food. And people will go back to them. Right. Because they're treated right. so well that they just go back to them because of that. It won't be me, but uh, that's that's a big thing now. And I feel like you guys have combined both. We try very hard. We train every day. We spend tons of money. 
<clears throat> training and training and training people, but it's it's you know, you, you train people sometimes, you get incredible employees sometimes. You get somebody that went through the cracks and you don't know how he got there. But once he starts working, doesn't smile and you're like, God, did I know that? I met that employee before. So the other thing you have to really be careful about is hiring for the position, right? Where before we used to hire people, we fell in love with you because you're a good worker and we wanted to promote you to the front of the house. Biggest mistake because we couldn't get a smile out of you, right? Mm. So you, you got to hire for the job. Back of the house, they got to get along. But a smile is not necessary to do your work. But in the front of the house, without a smile and from ear to ear, your eyes are singing and dancing. Without that, you don't accomplish anything. So hire for the position. When you're starting a company, hire for the position. People will tell you, you just have to ask the, the right questions, right? Right. So it's huge now, customer service. A boss of mine many years ago told me that People don't get fired. They fire themselves. themselves. It's true. Do you believe in that? Like oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and the worst part are the ones that make everybody's life miserable. Like, you're young. You have a future ahead of you. If you don't like what you're doing, don't waste time making everybody miserable. Move on. You know? Yeah. The people that are successful stay in a company until they're no longer happy. And they move on. They don't make the company miserable. They move on because they know that it's time to move on. And whatever you learn, you gotta bring it with you. Right. And you, they turn around and say, "Thank you for you know all the knowledge that uh, you gave me. I'm ready now to go, to go on my own." And we're very happy to see that because that tells us we're doing something well. We love it when somebody leaves a bakery and goes and becomes an entrepreneur because we did we did it right we did it right. You know, we taught them. The right way. And we have a few of those that have gone into other things and restaurants and things like that. So there's nothing wrong with that. You have to train not to keep up, but you got to train for the heck of making the best employee. Never thinking, he might leave tomorrow. Why am I spending all this money in the training? It doesn't matter. You have to train everybody whether you think they're going to stay or not, you know? Right. So, That's key. Yeah. You know, you have... Six bakeries now, Betty? Six six bakeries, but we have something else that became key to our survival during COVID. Um, two years before COVID came around, my dad, my brother wanted to, because people say, why don't you sell things at Costco? Why don't you put them at the supermarkets? And he said, I want to be able to do that, but I want to control the quality. I want us to be the ones sending and shipping or whatever. So we started something called Bake at Home. And so, you know, we were... Make at home, we have videos, we have instructions. Uh, the product tastes the same as when you buy at the bakery. I say better because you can eat it hot out of the ovens. When the bakery, we have to cool them off before we package them or they get, they get soggy otherwise. Mm -hmm. So this is the best, bake at home. So COVID comes, right? And we go from doing 280 orders a day to 2,800, close to 3,000 overnight. So we had to ship people from this area to the other to be able so to be able to to handle this huge demand not coming only from the United States but from California itself. People that are older that and they're still now ordering through Bake at Home because they don't want to come and line up. Yeah. And movie stars that will come and buy older stuff so they can bake stuff at home so they can pretend that like their house smells like they baked their chocolate. <laughs> so people do all kinds of stuff with Bake at Home, but we have now delivered to every state in the United States except 
Canada, no, except um, Alaska and Alaska. Hawaii. It's too expensive. But see, we control the quality. That's the beauty of it. And we keep shipping more and more like we do. The tres leche yeah. cake is not being sent. And the chocolate Parisian, which is the most popular one. And then sometimes we do things only for them. Only you can get through Bake at Home to try to, to get people. It's a beautiful thing if more people, go, less people go to the bakeries. You're telling me I can do a Bake at Home for, with the Tres Leches You can Leches get the cake? potato, yes. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. And the chocolate Parisian. We figured out a way. And the potato balls will be baked already for you. All you have to do is heat them up. And then the cheese rolls, the guava cheese, the dulce leche cases, all that you bake yourself. But it's dummy proof. It goes from your freezer to the oven. Yeah. There's no thawing out. People think things are be taught. No, they go from the freezer. When you put something from the freezer to the oven, it bakes without losing its shape. Mm. And all the stuff coming out, right? A lot of stuff, if you make them fresh and you bake them, like I used to, they used to make the coconut macaroons freshly made. We ran out of them. You put them in the oven and it squashes and all the honey comes out. So you have to freeze it. You have no choice. Yeah. For it to bake in half an hour and keep its shape. So bake at home is it's a beautiful thing. You're in your home. You don't have to line up. You don't have to stand in line. Some people love to go to the bakery because of the energy. But if one day you don't want to bake or if you want to, like, you know, my daughter at work, all her people that she works with for Christmas and special birthdays and holidays, they send portals to New York, to Chicago, because they don't have them in there. Yeah. So it's a special gift. For it's sure. not something that you can get anywhere. So that was key to, to for us during uh, COVID. He gave us that opportunity. Also, something that we learned during COVID is we didn't do any of the, of the food services, the deliveries, the Rob Hub. We didn't do any of that because we thought we're so busy. We're not going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. But we were forced to do it with COVID, right? So now we learned that. And now we're doing it. We don't do it all the time. We open and close it depending on the demand and supply okay. at the bakery. But we're working on that. It would be great if we can get just test kitchens that we can just work out of there for bake at home. And that's something that, that would be something that we can that we can do. Not bake at home for the, the deliveries. For the yeah, have, food delivery of, services. If we're maxed out of the bakery, can we get us someplace next door that they can, you know, do Just for the, that. Just for that. That would be genius. But we're working on that. And, you know, COVID came around. So, again, retaining employees, getting employees has become more of a challenge. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing that's holding back a lot of restaurants and a lot of places that are wanting to open that are being held back for because of those factors. The Bake at Home, that's available, uh, obviously, <laughs> like at, you said Costco earlier? No, right? no, no. We didn't want to go. Oh, you didn't want to? We wanted to control it. So it's See, when you say from... it to, it's from us to you. Wow. We control it. We have the facility. It's all coming from us. We control the labor. If it tastes bad, it's our fault. <laughs> We're not leaving it there for a few days like they do in the markets and then picking it up. Right. No. You control it. It's it's genius if you think about it. Yeah. It's your product, your family name on those boxes, and you control it, you know? Betty, I'm still trying to figure out, right? Like, there's, there's so many bakeries and restaurants mm-hmm. But like the fact that that Portos and and I remember so I started in 2005 I started at, at, at Power 106 mm-hmm. I was in Burbank. Yep. And I do remember around that time you, just like you used to get deliveries from us all the time. We, we, we because would. Sage, the one that worked that owned uh, Nissan. Yep. He used to send you guys food all the time. Yeah. He yeah. was a freak about the bakery. He loved the bakery. Yeah. 
Because yeah. he, he grew up in Cuba, even though he was a Jewish family from Poland. They escaped Poland, they came to Cuba, and they became very rich, and they had... All those dealerships. He, he had the biggest, the largest dealerships of Nissans in all of the United States. So that's how the, the Portos ended up at, at power. Yeah. He, he used <laughs> at to the radio station. He used to pay for all that. We used to deliver a thermos of cafe con leche, cafe latte, to him. One thermos. He paid more for the delivery than he did for the thermos. Because <laughs> he just wanted what he wanted. Yeah. Really cool guy. Yeah. No, but, so so where I was going with that was I'm still trying to, to understand how, you know, a, a, a family business like, like Porto's became like uh uh such so popular and i wouldn't say overnight but like i feel like it wasn't overnight it, as soon as as soon as that that burbank store opened it was like well, it, but it's, things yeah, things but it's taken us 45 years now see now new businesses don't have that issue because you have social media right you have all these platforms our stuff was word of mouth yeah you tell 10 people you went to the bakery you liked it 10 people told 10 people now we can do a video that you know it goes viral I, that went viral and we were training number one on a competition over cakes <laughs> that these young people brought to us and we we're training number one overnight over at tres leches yeah it, we competed up all the, with three or four other bakeries so now people have that power we have done it the hard way word of mouth getting our stories out there for free Every time you see an article on Portos from the LA Times or any other article that you see mm -hmm. or any TV show that you see or anything like the cake boss, any of that, we don't, we don't pay for that. It's all free advertisement. We have never spent a penny doing that in the old days, but now we have a whole marketing department where before that didn't exist. So wow. it's taking a long time, but the problem is it's taking a long time, but we done it the right way. Right. With consistency, with quality, with service from the heart. People are smart. People are not dumb. People know that they can go to Portos with $20 and have, you know, two people can have a sandwich yeah. and they can have a soda. Yeah. People know that and the quality. And I'm amazed when I go to places and I, so many places that sell food, I don't want to mention names, but yeah. they charge me like $25. You go to the airports, $25. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. That makes me angry because I don't want to pay a lot of money. I don't mind paying a lot of money for a good restaurant, but yeah. to have terrible food. Yeah. So, you know, we're like, oh my God, we could do that for half of that. So I think people understand, number one, that we're immigrants, that we care about them, that we're never going to deviate from giving them the best quality, that we work daily on the service and we kill ourselves for the pricing. Wow. All those things are there. People know that. You know, there was a big thing in the, you remember in the 90s when the economy went down or whatever, mm -hmm. and all these restaurants were closing? We flourished because in those days, a family could come and eat for 20 bucks. So they couldn't go to a high-end restaurant, but they could come to Bortles. And our sales went through the roof when everybody else was hurting. So we have never had any issue until COVID came around. And it was, it's the aftermath of COVID right. more than anything else. Now you, you know, the aftermath, sourcing ingredients. Where you don't get what you ask for. You wanted apples, you get strawberries. You you want this fruit and it doesn't come in. Then you have to change the whole design of of the pastry, of the fruit tarts. So we struggle with that every every day now. And I say to people, if you go to a restaurant, give them a little, give them a break, man. Every yeah. restaurant that you go is slower now. 
They can't help it. Give them a break. Well, Put overall, yourselves the the in restaurant their position. the restaurant business is just they're all slow to serve. It's challenging uh, because they don't have they don't have employees. But now more than ever, they're slow because they can. You're gonna see a lot of more high school kids, and you see them in the restaurants. Yeah. Because now we're going back to high school, which is not easy because there's a lot of uh, restrictions. So it's harder for a manager. Yeah. To manage high school kids, but you see them in restaurants now. And, you know, ingredients, the plates don't look the same. Well, you know, they couldn't get that plate anymore. And that's still now. It's maybe another year or two before we can get out of that run. Yeah. You know, it started with the, all those boats being in Long Beach, not being able to to be. To dock. Up to, right. Because they didn't have the trucks that met. They had to be, you know, 2010 and older yeah. and younger. So the, the old trucks couldn't go in there. Now, in uh, recent time, you guys made headlines with the Disneyland partnership. Yeah, they came to ask us. How did that come open. about? Yeah, they just you know, you know, this is they have people all over the world, and I like I told you they're trying to revamp downtown Disney, and they want to bring uh, uh, business with a name, popular in Southern California. We're so proud of the fact that they came looking for us. You think we ever thought about going to this land? We we try going. We just work every day. We strive to make everything better, to do better, but we never think that the things that are happening to us are going to happen to us. Every award, every show, it's just things that happen to you and they're nice, but you're not striving for that. You work and you do what you do because you love it and you want to turn in the best product. And I guess the people that work for this, they realize that we're popular in Southern California, that we have a following, that we have a name, and, and they came to us and... We were not allowed to tell the world that we were going to be there. They did an unveiling in one of those. They have an event once a year where they invite all the, the crazy Disney people yeah. and they're giving <laughs> gifts and they rebuild the movies that are coming out and the actors that they, they knew, the new Batman is coming back or this guy's coming back. Right. Are you familiar with that? For sure, for sure. So we did it. They, they decided that they were going to reveal it there. And they paid us to bring, I don't know, we brought like 20,000 pastries. Wow. And so when the people were exiting from the convention, one of the news, the first news that they revealed was that we were coming. And sure enough, we had standing people clapping this whole auditorium. No, I, I, I watched the, yeah. the footage of it that. It was yeah. great. And we're waiting for them outside. So as they're coming out, we're serving bags. We're serving bags. We gave them all food. Disney paid for for us to do that, but Disney was very happy because here they knew, and this was proof that this is really, it was a good move on their part. So, you know, it's not, I think you make less money, of course. You know, they, I think you have to make, I don't dwell too much into the business side of it, but you do pay a percentage. So it's not the kind of money that you're making on the other stores, but at the same time, uh, you're going to be exposed to the whole world. For sure. The whole world is going to know Portos. As a matter of fact, you know, people travel all over the world. You know how many people are traveling with those bags to Paris and to Spain? Go to Las Vegas on any local flight and you'll see people carrying our bags. Or go to the Hollywood Bowl or anywhere like that. I'm so proud of that, that I see my bags everywhere and my daughters freak out because if I see somebody sitting there in the Hollywood Bowl eating my potatoes, I would go and say, thank you so much. I came from Florida. And they're like, oh, my God. They can't believe it. I <laughs> think the owners are like this, you know. And I talk to them and say, thank you for being a customer. They love that. Yeah. And I do it because it comes natural to me. 
Yeah. It doesn't, it's not an effort. It comes from my heart. And then my daughter's like, mom, what are you doing? Whatever. But the people love that. Right. That the engagement, you're important to me, you know? They'll never forget that. No, no. So it's good for me because it comes natural. I don't have to, I don't push it. I don't, it's just, I see them eating the potato and I go, and I say to them, or if I see somebody carrying my bags on the plane, I say, thank you so much. I mean, I know it's a lot of work to be logging food around for your family, but right. I thank you. And they're like, you're the owner? I go, yeah. And they're like, oh my God, can we take a picture? <laughs> that's the first thing that, that comes out. But um, I love what I do and that's what I do. It's... You know, representing our family and, 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 you know, showing people that we're regular people, that we're real. We're not sitting up in, 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 in a high chair, you know, telling people what to do. We You're get feedback it. from our employees. They're allowed to give feedback. Before a product comes out, they get to taste it. And they get to give us feedback. And they don't like this, they don't like that. We go back to the drawing board. So that's another way of engaging them, making them feel like you know they're part of this whole process. And of course, now they all want to go to Disneyland. Can I go work in Disneyland? <laughs> that's my work? next question. How yeah. can I get Disneyland? Oh my passes? god, now everybody wants Betty. to go. I know. That, that's the other thing they're asking. Me. Are we gonna get free passes? And I go, No, you're not. This is not gonna give you anything for free. But they all want to work in Disney. Right. Because right. they're crazy about Disney. You know? yeah. We want to work for Disneyland. And I'm like, I don't want to drive there. <laughs> they want to work. So that's the number one question. Yeah. When are you opening and can we go work in Disneyland? Yeah. I think it's easy. It's gonna be hard work. Can can you reveal <laughs> where the location of Yeah, we're yeah. taking over the, the 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 bakery that was that was there. La Bre is it La Brea? La Brea, yeah. yeah. They they closed down and now they have the the king of the Earl, the king of sandwiches, which is temporary until we get all these um plans and everything in place. Twenty twenty so, so it's a year for the plans and a year to actually build the store. You know, it's 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 a big. It's not so much a big facility, but it's a lot harder to build because there's infrastructure there that's underneath the ground that we didn't have in when we were building other bakeries. So we're hiring bigger companies because they need big companies to be able to come up with all the plans, the engineers, the architects that we need to be to be able to to build a place in Disney. When it comes to the actual design of of like the architecture and the way the building's gonna look. I think they like what we have done in the past. So it's up to you to you guys uh, yeah, for the most part. We have uh, we have a lot of freedom when it comes to that. I mean, my brother's gonna not gonna do anything less than we have built. And that's one thing that that is big on. You know, every time we we open a new bakery, it's different. But every time we build one we make it more beautiful. If you haven't been to Northridge it's all this lattice woodwork on their ceiling that's to die for. And I think that's kind of cool because it teaches all the Latinos and a lot of the minorities that are number one customers, the Filipinos, the Latinos, that we like beautiful places, right? Why should it be small and ugly? And it doesn't have to be that way. So we, I think they appreciate the fact that we go out of our way to make the, their places beautiful for their family, for their friends. And at the end, they can be proud to say, hey, this is a bakery, right? It's, right. it's, it's a win-win. For everybody, I can come out with beautiful designs. And every time I I drive by a a, a Portos, is the lines are always yeah, out the door. Out the door. Can you imagine <laughs> how crazy the Disneyland one is going to be? I know. I have no clue. <laughs> but you know what? It's going to be a little bit different. I hear my brother talking, and he's saying all kinds of stuff. Like it might just not be a bakery. We're not going to be able to have all the stuff that we have 
in all the bakeries because it's not that going to be that big. But I think they're talking about a restaurant and a bar, mm. full bar and a restaurant with Cuban food that he's going to go crazy trying to find a, a chef that can be because he wants to do things that are always next level blow people away yeah not just regular cuban food but modern cuban food but with an incredible flavor we'll see this is going to be new for us he's very excited about it yeah this is going to be new new the, for us when it comes to to the the menu that you guys are are, are offering uh -huh. and, and and something new is added onto the menu you guys yeah. have chefs on oh yeah yeah on we have that, a right? test kitchen and all they do all day long is play with food there's a lot of things that go into coming up with a new recipe if you come out with a new recipe and you have none of the ingredients at the bakery, you're not going to be able to keep it within the price point. So you need to come out with recipes that we have the ingredients. We have mm. the sauces. We mm -hmm. have the, the lettuce. We have the tomatoes. You know, Like right now, we came out with the, with the new sandwich with the Spanish ham. We have the arugula. We have the dresses. So that's key to keeping the price of that. So they look into all that, having all the ingredients for the that is going to be less expensive for the people, you know, and uh, they taste and they taste and they work for months. They look for seasonal things like we have seasonal soups right now. Like I told you, strawberries in season. So we have a tart. Maybe next year, last year we did a peach one. When the peaches came in season, yeah. stone fruit, we switch from strawberries. So we're trying to do more seasonal things because the, the young people like that and we can engage them and we can source a lot of stuff locally that allows us to do all the seasonal stuff. So yeah. that's been a plus. But they're looking for the weather, a colder soup versus a heavier soup. Uh, like I said, potato balls that are made with turkey are only for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And the food, uh, seafood is only for Easter. Now, the meat and the, the vegetarian, the cheese and, and peppers, that's all year round. So you change a lot of stuff around. Um, we try to keep things that are close to our roots. So like I said, if we... We came out with something for Altamed mm -hmm. for to sell to give him money. Love we came out with a we came out with a something called a rose because of my mother's name was Rose, so we call it a rose. Uh, and it's a mousse, the rose mousse. It's a mousse, but it was made out of guava with a guava center. So that's different. It did so well for in the sale that we did for Altamed that now it's on the regular menu. Wow. So we tested it. It was a success, and now we're doing it. Why? Because people like those tropical flavors, guava, mango. So again, nothing. A mousse is, came when the queens and the queens and the kings were inviting people. They would have their head pastry, create profiteroles, or something to blow people away. Yeah. Right? You're the king, you're Versailles, you want. And so all that comes from there. But we just tweak it and we give it a, a, a great flavor. Like the mango mousse has passion fruit in the middle. You know, or making strudels. We make apple strudels. We make guava cheese. We make a coconut strudel that's to die for. One of my favorite pastries that people don't even know about. It. It's a coconut strudel made with honey and stuff. It's to die for. One of my favorites. It's not an apple. It's a coconut strudel. So, you know, we hit, we do the meat pies and the chicken empanadas and the tamales and the things that we know that Latinas love. But we have taught the whole world to eat our food. Right. Because, yeah, I say it when you go to the bakeries at United Nations. There's all kinds of races. There's all kinds of people. There's all kinds of colors. There's no prejudice when it comes to food. People are not prejudiced when it comes to food. <laughs> you eat Mexican food. You eat Chinese food, right? Who cares? Yeah. And as far as our employees, in the old days, only Latinos would come and answer and look for jobs. 
Now you go upstairs in the laundry room, see United Nations. Right? People, Muslims that are wrapped. I have African Americans. I have Latinos, Filipinos, Indonesians, the whole world. Yeah. Which is a cool thing. That's beautiful. That food is bringing all these people together yeah. for the same goal and the same passion. So yeah. now it's a different bakery. All the languages that you need in England, we have a lot of Armenian people that can speak the language. We even have sign languages because we're lucky enough to have a kid that speaks it wow. in some of the bakeries. It's, you know, it's cool. We have French people. We have, we have everything, the whole world. Like I said, people don't care about the color of food. They just care about who's serving the food, right? Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, they're not praised about the people that are making or serving your food. It's all tastes good and it brings people together. So I think his food is important when it comes to showing people that we're all the same at the end of the day. You know, when, and I think that's, that's so beautiful that you guys are doing that. You know, I, we are doing it. I look at, at, at some restaurants and, and sometimes there's like collaborations and, and partnerships between a restaurant and, you know, a hot sauce or a restaurant and you name the ingredient, yes. right? Like, have you guys ever thought Never, about doing something like that? We, we make everything from scratch. Yeah, we could sell our mojo sauce maybe somewhere. We could do that. But right now we don't have the employees of the, the facility. So we can sell some of the sauces that we use, like the mojo sauce. People love that. That you can use to marinate. That could be something that we can bake. But the problem is the bakery business is so, so involved and so people say, why don't you make this? Why don't you make that? Every time you come up with a new product, you have to roll it out. Yeah. It's so hard to do. Yeah. And you got to keep the quality. Why don't you make this? How do you make the quality of 200 something items the same day? Making it the same way to taste the same. Right. That's very hard. But no, no collaborations as far as those. We do collaborations more like with nonprofits to help other people. So we collaborated with the museum of um, uh, in West Covina, Diamond Harbor. We had a collaboration yeah. where we uh, they were showing painters. I mean, they were showing photographs from Cuba, from all kinds of different areas, from from showing girls prostituting themselves to showing farmers, the whole thing. Yeah. And we had to, they built like a small little bodeguita. Mm -hmm. And for, I think six months we were supplying them. And people would line up there at the museum and we would get tests, little tests. Why don't you bring more products? They're running out by this time. Right? I said, that's because they're not the bakery. We're supplying them. They're buying what they think. And they had to up their sales because they were getting lines of people. Why don't you bring more <laughs> items? They only had to go up with that. They didn't get what it was. They didn't get it. It was a pop-up. So <laughs> yeah. we done pop-ups in the future. But then they were always like, why did you have this? Why don't you have that? What did you have? So, and then we, we do, we done things with wineries, pairing for nonprofits, pairing wines with uh, our products. Mm -hmm. But then we donate the, the pastries for that. You know, they charge you to go in and then they have like wineries and we do, Without them, and we do Istalemis Napa. Mm. We do that every year where, you know, I take like three to 4,000 pastries. And it's all for With free. With the De La Rocha family? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also uh, heard that Into you guys you guys donate your... Yeah, we do. We, what I told you, the cancer. Cancer awareness. So anybody can go to a clinic and get free screening for cancer. If we were doing somebody else before, but they were big. And we thought, let's do somebody. They have clinics in all the stores, all the bakeries that we have there's clinics from ultimate so it's a good thing it's a good partnership we're helping our own customers our people that are going to be now can go to one of those clinics so you have to really be smart about who you're helping 
because so many people want help. Well, you know, let's help the people that really need it. And they're not these big organizations like they have billions of dollars that they don't need it, you know? Right, right. right. And then the food that's left over, you guys also donate, right? Every day when we close the stores, we feel we have to have so many cases of, of boxes of pastries left because when you come in at 8 or at 7.30, we want this, the, the, the shelves to be stocked. So everything is full. So there's a lot of, there was a lot of waste because we're stocking till you come in until 8.30. We're baking, we're baking. We bake 24 hours a day by the way, nonstop. And so we saw, we established a relationship. The first one was the Union Mission, the Rescue Union Mission, and incredible what they do. And we work with them for 10 years now. So what we decided to do, because a lot of people don't want to donate because they're afraid that they're going to sue you. So they said, we'll cover you for two millions. You start this, never had an issue in 10 years. And we feed 400 people on a daily basis. Wow. That's not once a year. A lot of people come and ask for food to during Thanksgiving and Christmas. I tell them, you know, I'm already doing it, but we do it every day. And so every baker is tied to a shelter. The Buena Park is the one is, is tied to an organization that's called Children's Hope, giving children hope. Yep. And so every day they pick up, and so their lunch, uh, their lunch, their bags are full with food that they collect for different band, and they include our breads and stuff like that. So. That's it. Those are the things that make you feel good. And they f- make your employees feel good about the, the place that they're working for. For sure. Because you're helping. They come themselves and ask for help. Yeah. And I say, I'm only going to do it because you work here. Because I've done so many of those already that there's no budget left. But you work here, we'll do it. So they love the fact that we give to the homeless. They love the fact that we work with Children's Hospital. Right now, it's called March Matter, this time of year. And they're competing. One bakery is competing with the other. So all six bakeries are competing. And within the bakeries, all the salespeople are competing with each other. Because, you know, we get the one that wins. We have one that wins every year. And she gets the T-shirt and all the kudos. And everybody's trying to beat her up. So it's, it's a fun way to sell something that's going to go for a great cause. Children's Hospital. Yeah. And um, when you make it fun. So they're competing. And Children comes and talks about the competition and all that stuff. So it was great. it's a great thing to Makes you feel good at the end of the day. Yeah. It's so hard to throw things away. And we throw a lot of stuff away. When you come in, and it breaks my heart. When you come in and they made a mistake and the sauce was not put on the side, that thing goes to the trash immediately. Yeah. Because they have to teach them that. But it breaks my heart. Or the smoothies. People say, I didn't want to blend it. I want it hot. And then that's when I put my foot down and I say, okay, why don't we give it to the employees? So I make them collect all the mistakes. And I'm giving them to the employees because, you know, why throw it away? But when it comes to food, once they put it on the table, they can't take it back. Yeah. Even if they know they didn't touch it, yeah. they have to throw it in the trash. So there's sure. a lot of that that can't be helped. It is sad. Yeah. Because it breaks my heart yeah. to see all that stuff. But everything else, all the breads and all the stuff that you see in the showcases is going to a great cause. So we feel good about that. That's amazing. Uh, Betty, I have a, a newfound... Uh, respect huh. uh, for for what you you and your family are doing, and uh, on top of all the the tasty food, yeah. there's there's so much you know history mm. behind it, right. and then there's so much good that you guys are doing right. for the community. So and thank so you. much thank you love that. that we you know, that we that we have, and I always tell people anybody can do it, guys. It's an immigrant story like every other, right? How many immigrants do we have 
coming in today that are going to be billionaires in 20 years. That's the reality. Nobody works harder than an immigrant does. And we're proof right, that that can happen. Well, thank you for having me here. I've enjoyed myself. 100%. Thank you time. so much, Betty. I, I, I thank you so, so much. And and uh, before I let you go, we're going to do rapid fire with Betty Porto. Oh, Are that's ready? another little section? Yeah. Oh, whatever comes to mind. Whatever comes to oh mind, okay? Oh. Very easy. Yes. First thing that comes to mind on the menu that you love. Anything my mother made for me when I was a child. What? what would that be? Like a potato ball. Potato ball? Yeah. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah. That's. Do we have some potato balls here? Yes, we do. Ooh. <laughs> All right, that's the end of our interview. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, kidding. You, you gotta go back. <laughs> favorite Spanish word? Coño. Coño. I'm Cuban, so. <laughs> favorite song to dance to? Any salsa. I love uh, it. Who's your favorite salsa artist? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> There's so many. I love Willy Chirino because he's uh, you know, Willie Chirino, I love him. He's he sings a lot from the heart and a lot about the the guajiro, the the campesino. So I love his music. I love that. Uh, favorite Latino food dish that isn't Cuban. Oh Jesus Christ, that's hard. I love nachos. <laughs> nachos, Not like good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, With like. With carne the meat and the carne or, asada, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love nachos. I love I that. think that's like a meal in a very um, cool and, and not fancy way to present it. Yeah. But it has everything that I love, which is la crema, the guacamole, the cheese, the chips, and the carne asada. It's just, I love it. Uh, do you remember what I what I had for, for my birthday this, this year, Tati? It was, it was nachos. Nachos. And that's the first thing I shared with them. I was like, Good nachos, not the cheap cheese yeah, one that no, you get was, at the, it was at the stadiums. So that was the first thing I shared with 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 my team here. My my brother loves to cook, and he said, "Hey, what do you want me to make you?" Nachos. And I said, "Nachos." And we ate nachos at, at the yeah, house. They could be steroids <laughs> if you make them right. They could be incredible. Uh, so, last question is a nickname of yours that no one really knows about. Oh my god. A nickname? My nickname? Yes. You know, a, a lot of people call me, the people, I have a girlfriend, it's one of my best girlfriends, and she calls me B. 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 Because I didn't know, you know, when you come from Cuba, if your name is Beatrice, your nickname is Betty. I didn't know in the United States, Elizabeth is our Betty, and Beatrice are B. So I was shot in, in, uh, in junior high school when somebody said, they started calling me, and I go, who's B? What is that? <laughs> so I found out about it, and she's the only one that calls me that. Nobody else calls me B. And my daughters call me BP. BP. Beatriz Porto. <laughs> yeah. And they say that. I don't listen. They go, mom, mom, mom. And I'm blocking them out. When they go, BPs, I react. And so that's my nickname at home, BP. I love Even that. their boyfriends and their husbands call me BP. BP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, BP. Yes. Thank you so much you. for coming here thank today. You. We all love you. And thank you. Again, we love what you and your family yeah. are doing and continue to do. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Betty Porto. Give it up for Betty, everybody. <laughs> thank you, guys. Give it up for you guys. Thank doing you, an thank amazing you, thank job you. And showcasing, you know, a business that's a Latino business. It's not, you know, nothing else than that. So it's great to be. Of course. To be able to be showcased once again. And this is your home thank anytime, you. Betty. Thank Especially you. Especially if I bring the food, right? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs>
<laughs> this is your home every week. <laughs> thank you thank so you. much, Betty. And thank, thank you. you so much for watching thank and you. listening to Mondo and Friends presented by Verizon.